I am most saved from hypocrisy when I remember this, that I always, always need the mercy and the grace of God. Apart from his marvelous love and grace, I'd be one terrible mess. And so would you. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Matthew 23 records what many believe is Jesus' most direct condemnation of the religious elite of his day. With righteous indignation, he confronted their hypocrisy and lack of humility. In today's teaching, Crawford will remind us that Christian hypocrisy is a huge barrier to those who need to see Christ in our lives. Join us for our study. If you're stopping by our broadcast for the first time, a big welcome. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, missionary, seminary professor, speaker, and author. His books include Make It Home Before Dark, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Leadership as an Identity. He's been our teacher on living a legacy for nearly 20 years. Well, last week Crawford said that this Matthew 23 passage marks the enough is enough point in Jesus' dealings with the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders who sought to find fault with him. Let's pick up where we left off in Crawford's message, The Danger of Hypocrisy, here on Living a Legacy. The fourth woe is verses 23 through 24, and the statement is this, you choose performance over essence. You choose performance over essence. Verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Wow. You, you, you're choosing your performance. You know, uh, they were obsessed with and, uh, with, with and, 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 and majored on minors. So much so that, that these details of the law has, has obscured the heart of God. You're so proud of how you perform. I've met a ton of Christians, and I have to say, there are a few of you in this, in this church who are too quick to boast and brag about your spiritual disciplines. Why do you want people to know how many, how many hours you pray? How, why do you want people to know how many, how many books or how many chapters of the Bible you read every day? Why do you want people to know how often you fast? Why do, why do you want people to know? Not that any of those things are wrong. It's right to read your Bible. It's right to fast. It's right to pray. It's right to do all of that stuff. But the question is why? Why do you want folks to know about that? And the more I elevate what I do for Jesus, I I can obscure the heart of Jesus. And that's what he means when he says that, that you neglect, you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's what you ought to be leading with. People ought to feel and sense your godliness and not hear and see your performance. It is the sweetness of Christ's likeness that ought to come through us. Not the boasting of the stuff that we purport that gets us there. Verses 25 through 26. This is closely associated. says, you love appearances over reality. He says, woe to you, verse 25, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. You so want to impress people how squeaky clean you are. What's going on inside of you? The cleansing was, you know, for the sake of being seen by men. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how clean I am. You know, they, they, they were not above evil and wrongdoing, no matter how righteous they appeared. Can I just tell you this? Look, I, in undergrad school, I went to a Christian college. I loved the college. But when I, was, when I was there, legalism was reigning supreme. And thank God, they're not there now. Great school, I recommend it. But when I was there, legalism was reigning supreme. They had all these lists of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and this thing you had to sign the pledge that you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that, you wouldn't drink this, you wouldn't do this, and this, that. And I, and I can tell you, and a lot of, a lot of the kids there conformed. Well, there's not an inconsequential number of those kids who outwardly, they just look so squeakly clean and all of this stuff. They look so good. They kept the letter of all of that stuff. But they were hell on wheels. They were so concerned about managing their behavior that they weren't focusing on transforming their hearts. I've heard of any number of them that it's, it was just a matter of time. They, they knew how to, they had grown up in Christian schools and this kind of thing. I'm not knocking Christian schools, don't get me wrong. But they, they knew, they knew how, to, how to conform to the outward expectations of other people. And the reality of all of this was not there. The plate looked clean, but it really wasn't. I gotta tell you, the, some of the meanest and nastiest people I've ever met in my life have been legalistic Christians. Downright nasty folks. Mean-spirited. Vengeful. And they use the Bible to justify their discriminatory, and I don't mean racist, although they include that, some of their discriminatory attitudes. And they, they pretend to be so squeaky clean. The inconsistencies that are there. Transparency doesn't fake another reality. And Jesus says, you love. <laughs> yeah, you kind of love how you look over who you really are, don't you? Number six, verses 27 through 28 the statement is, you neglect the corruption in your heart. Again, the extension of the former. And Jesus is, he's, he's like saying, okay, I need to just put it all out here. This verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, whitewashed tombs. It was a custom back then that it, uh, to keep the tombs painted white on the outside so that they would appear to be attractive. It's beautiful that you do that. And yet what Jesus is saying is that their religious conformity was nothing more than white paint on tombs they were corrupt and decaying on the inside. That's what you're doing. 
It's just sort of painting things when you go around telling people how much you pray and how much you fast and the 600 and some odd laws that you know and all of that. It's put the white paint. Really? It's a grave marker, buddy. It's a tomb. I think there's a word for us. Focus on your heart and not on your performance. Focus on your heart. Focus on keeping your heart clean. Focus on keeping your heart strong. If you focus on a clean heart and you focus on the interior of your soul and you focus on that, you don't have to worry about behavior. You don't have to worry about performance because your heart will be tender and sensitive to the Lord and sensitive to repentance and sensitive to needs and sensitive to what needs to take place. But don't assume that whitewashing your outward parts and your behavior is the same as transformation and substance. It's not. That one thing to do over again, raising our kids, to be honest with you, I think Karen and I were not very legalistic on, on balance, but looking in the rearview mirror as our kids were younger, if I could do one thing over again, I would have given them bigger dosages of grace and mercy. The seventh statement is this. You manipulate and dishonor your spiritual heritage. Wow. Verses 29 through 36, listen to what Jesus says here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? This is Jesus speaking, the hypocrites. Wow. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus said, you even misrepresent your history. You hypocrites. How in the world is it that you go and decorate the very tombs of these folks who were murdered? How dare you allow your mouth to form the words that you would not do this? You're doing it now. The people who killed those prophets were just like you. Now, Jesus is saying, look, just as their ancestors had murdered the prophets, they continue to do the same. And he's also talking about himself because they were already in process of planning Jesus' death. And they got it. No, you could have do the same to me. You're going to do the very same thing to me. And you're going to think you're right. Because you have been deceived by your pretense. 
Thus Jesus gives his lament in these verses. I can't prove this, but I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was weeping as he uttered these words. Jesus says, no, I'm headed to the cross. Listen to what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. Scribes and Pharisees, they stuff with it. They're your leaders? For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I feel the shadows of Zechariah 12, 10 in that prophetic statement. He said, no, no, next time I come back, you're not going to reject me. You're not going to have a choice. When I come back, every eye will see me, and they will worship me and accept me. Jesus calls them serpents, by the way. And vipers, you sneak around and you are deadly. That's what hypocrisy does. But he's also likening them and hypocrisy to the work of Satan. Now, having said that, let me just quickly say, okay, so I sat back in my chair as I went through all of this, and I thought to myself, okay, hypocrisy did not stop with the scribes and the Pharisees. Hypocrisy is with us, and it will be with us until Jesus comes back. And in varying degrees, and I think we need to be honest, in varying degrees, pretense in varying degrees has hit all of us. So the question is, how can we monitor and how can we examine our hearts? How can we spot hypocrisy? I've come up with six questions, so let me just click them off. There may be more. First question is this, is your relationship with Christ genuine? That's the place to begin. Is it genuine? Have you really sincerely trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Is he living inside of your heart and life? Do you know him? Do we know him genuinely? I didn't say religion. I didn't say performance. But do we really know Jesus as Savior and Lord? It is a heart issue, and our hearts need to be changed. If not, then we'll be trying to fake our way into that relationship, and it will never happen begins by turning to him and trusting him as saving Lord. The second question is this. Now, hear how I phrase this. Uh, Do you exalt your relationship with Christ or do you exalt Christ? Let me say it again. Do you exalt your relationship with Christ or do you exalt Christ? It's a little fine line there. Do you want people to know what you do about Christ what, and describe your relationship? Is that the greatest thing about you? Or is Jesus the greatest thing about you? Third question. Are you more concerned about impressing others than the condition of your heart? 
Is it more important that people see you a certain way? Or are you really concerned, or are we really concerned about the condition of my heart? That matters most. Number four, do you try to take control, do you try to control people or intimidate them by what you know or have experienced? This is particularly a little danger zone for those of us who have been believers for a while and we've sat through some Bible studies and we've got some theological framework, we've got a little Christian experience, we've got a little knowledge about us. You know, the Apostle Paul said this, this is a warning, that knowledge puffs up and you've got to be very careful with what you know and your knowledge. And do, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you take, do you use what you know to control people or intimidate them? Keep them in their place? Does our knowledge about God and our experience, does it, does it change our, and transform our hearts and our character, which is the right thing? Or do we sometimes use it as a club? Number five, do you take more delight in letting people know what you are against or don't do than the Christ you represent? I don't do this, I don't drink this, I don't go here, I don't do that, I don't do this. And I, you know, the first thing you do is let people know, well, this, this is my territory, this is who I am. I told this story a couple of years ago here at the church. I got on a plane from Atlanta to Ontario, California. I was on there earlier, I was sitting down reading my Bible. This young kid gets on, He's, I, I couldn't have been any more than 21 years old, 21, 22, still in undergrad school. He doesn't say hi to me or anything else. He, first thing he says to me, he's sitting next to me, he says, hey, what kind of Bible is that? He said, no American Standard Version. And then he said this to me. Well, I can't fellowship with you until I know where you stand. I said, son, you're making an assumption. What's that that I want to fellowship with you? Let's <laughs> <laughs> not get it twisted. Then he proceeded to tell me all the stuff that he was against. That's a little extreme illustration, but I've met a lot of Christians like that who think their vitality and vibrancy is all the stands that they take. <laughs> Number six, are you more concerned that people conform to expectations and behavior than experiencing the joy and freedom of God's grace? Are we? Now, don't get me wrong, behavior is important. The Bible says don't do certain things. The Bible says be certain things. Not all, quote, performance is legalism. All right, let's get that out of our minds. Some of us who've gotten hijacked with an extreme, I call it false view of grace, end up in trouble. But it's the motivation that's important. It's the heart motivation that's terribly important. I want people around me to know that I, I'm a joyful person, and I'm grateful for his grace. You don't have to please me, you just please the Lord. There's freedom in him. Well, let me just say this, my time's up. I am most safe from hypocrisy when I remember this. When I remember that I always, always 
always need the mercy and grace of God. Just that one simple thing. When I always remember that, when I'm conscious of the fact that I always, always need the mercy and the grace of God, it knocks me off any high horse that I might be riding at the time. It takes me away from any self-aggrandizement that I might be flirting with at the time. And it helps me to appreciate that apart from his marvelous love and grace, I'd be one terrible mess. And so would you. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for yourself. And this has been a tough text, Lord, but I thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the strong warning, the strong warning that you give to us today No, we're not scribes and Pharisees, but we do have some of that propensity in us. And Lord Jesus, may we be intoxicated with the love and favor and grace and mercy and forgiveness of our great God. May we truly act like servants who have been delivered rather than a bunch of people who are entitled. May folks love hanging around us because we point them to Jesus and not to our performance. May you be our sufficiency and adequacy, Lord. Help us as we raise our children, Father, to give them huge helpings of mercy and grace, huge helpings of the love of the Lord Jesus. Father, show us what all this means. Help us to keep walking and running and sometimes stumbling toward grace and freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Six questions to help us identify hypocrisy in our own hearts. Here they are again. Number one, is your relationship with Christ genuine? Number two, do you exalt your relationship with Christ or do you exalt Christ? Number three, are you more concerned about impressing others rather than the condition of your heart? Number four, do you try to control people or intimidate them by what you know or have experienced? Number five, do you take more delight in letting people know what you're against or don't do than the Christ you represent? And finally, number six, are you more concerned that people conform to expectations and behavior than experiencing the joy and freedom of God's grace? Well, that was Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, concluding a message called The Danger of Hypocrisy. Thanks for taking a moment to let us know how these weekly messages are impacting your walk with Christ. Here's a recent email from Randy of Dorchester, Nebraska. Crawford's recent message on missionary work is well taken. Christ's call to us all to spread the gospel requires many believers working together to effectively broadcast the message. Together, individuals and missionaries form a fabric that reaches a broad range of souls, a sort of teamwork for eternity. Blessings to Crawford for reminding us of the fruitfulness of these warriors. Very well stated, Randy. Thanks so much for getting in touch. And hope you'll write to us too at legacy at moody.edu. Legacy at moody.edu. Well, thanks for listening. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.